BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald face truth. Welcome in. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano here on the BFT Radio Network. JC's got some time off. Well deserved. Appreciate you rolling with me on your Monday. We've got a big show for you today. So much to talk about across uh, well, multiple college sports. Very eventful weekend. Uh, big weekend in the NFL as well. We'll talk Heisman voting. Did they get it right? I think they did. Uh, of course, the sad news. Uh, involving Mike Leach. I want to talk about some of his uh, great appearances on this actual show right here that you're listening to. We've uh, we had Mike Leach, oh, dozens of times, uh, rooting for him to pull through his uh, issues, his medical issues that he's uh, dealing with at the moment. Of course, Trailblazers taking on the Timberwolves tonight from Moda. They just beat the T-Wolves. I don't know why the NBA has started doing these... Uh, whether it's a back-to-back or not, where just a team rolls into a city and plays two straight games. You know, the Blazers did it earlier. A back-to-back at Phoenix. It's kind of weird. I don't know if I like that or not. We'll kick that idea around. But we got to start uh, locally, college football, over the weekend. And if you listen to this show, you, uh, you, you knew this was coming. If there's one thing you know when you listen to John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth, he'll kind of tease when he's got info. And he won't outright say... I know this is happening, but it'll say, doesn't it make sense that you need to lock up Trent Bray? Doesn't it make sense that Kenny Dillingham might uh, consider Arizona State and they might consider him? He said that for two months before Kenny Dillingham got that job. And, uh, of course, uh, after the uh, the Beavers closed their season strong, nine wins, looking for 10 against Florida, uh, he says, doesn't it make sense that Oregon State would have to uh, reward Jonathan Smith and offer him a new deal, extend his contract, amend his contract, whatever you want to call it. And uh, surprise, surprise, lo and behold, Oregon State did exactly that. And here we are on Monday afternoon. Beav is about to roll down to Vegas for the Vegas Bowl tomorrow, I believe they leave for that. And Jonathan Smith has a six-year $30.6 million contract in hand. Runs through the 2028 season. He's uh, next season. Going to get a salary. It comes out to $4.85 million next year. And he receives $100,000 increases over the following five years. So how that ends in 2028 is at $5.35 million. That raise $6.5 million bucks, uh, from the contract extension. He got last year that ran through 2027. So all of a sudden, if you remember Jonathan Smith, he was on the lower end of the uh, Pac-12 coaching pay scale. Then he was kind of low mid, you know. And, of course, look, Corvallis, I love Corvallis. It's it's not USC. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, it's never going to be that way. But now here we are, Coach of the Oregon State Beavers, it's one of the highest-paid coaches in the Pac-12 now. And, of course, that news comes just two weeks after the Beavers finished a 9-3 and regular season. They beat Oregon in miraculous fashion. They almost beat USC, and they did it with uh, Chance Nolan and Ben Golbrinson. 
You feel me? So nine and three, the best season since 2012. They have a chance to finish with 10 wins for the first time since 2006. If they can beat a 500 Florida team in Saturday's Las Vegas Bowl, that'll be on ESPN on Saturday. Uh, Certainly expect Oregon State to uh, handle Florida in the uh, Vegas Bowl. Frankly, full strength. Florida, not that impressive. They did come out strong. And they did open up, uh, and they beat Utah. Remember at the beginning of the season, if Utah has, you know, if they want to have hope of making the playoffs, they need to open up strong. They need to beat Florida. And right off the the right off the the bat, Florida knocked back Utah. And you go, well, that's it for them. Who else we got? But that was pretty much Florida's only big win. You know, they lost to uh, their rivals, of course. It, you know. Your rivals are Georgia and Tennessee, among others. LSU, yeah, that's going to pose a problem. Don't get me wrong. But not only that, Florida doesn't really have any players left. Uh, Anthony Richardson, uh, their starting quarterback, he's going to sit out this game. Uh, their backup quarterback, Jalen Kitna, and don't Google what he did, but he will not be playing. He uh, was arrested last week on five second degree felony charges. Maybe that was two weeks ago now. Gators are just absolutely depleted across the board. My last count, it might be more, but there were something like 17 players not playing for Florida in that game. It's a long way of saying the Beavers probably going to have a 10-win season. That's incredible. So at this point, since taking over in 2018, Jonathan Smith, 25-31. and 31. And you go, well, how impressive is that? Well, if you saw that team in 2018 and 2019, it's damn impressive. It's very impressive. And, uh, of course, they're opening up the the pocketbook. They extended Trent Bray as well. Uh, spending, I think it was about $12 million for the coaching staff. Uh, Stephen Vaughn, want to come to you. Well-deserved uh, extension slash raise for Jonathan Smith. Now, does this come with additional expectations? Is this just a reward for a job well done? Yeah, I think it should come with some expectations, right? I think Oregon State, they want to be considered a serious team. And I think Jonathan Smith has got him to that, to that spot. And you got to give him a lot of credit because when he took over this program, I mean, it was awful. It was a, such a bad situation that they were in. And there was no expectations. But now you look at this team and going back to the, the, you know, the Civil War game, the rivalry game against Oregon, I felt like, Peter, this was the first year that Oregon State could match up basically talent for talent wise against Oregon. You know, I know that it was somewhat of a game, or uh, you know, last year when it was at Autzen, there was some thought, okay, Oregon State may pull this off, but it wasn't close. This year, Oregon State, they thought, okay, we can match the Ducks on the field, and so I think that's where Oregon State wants to be. And now that Jonathan Smith's getting paid, and they're you know investing in him as he is invested in this program, I think it's okay for expectations to be moved up. You know, going into the year it was kind of bowl game, and that's it. I think now you got to shoot for higher bowl games and catch lightning in the bottle in certain seasons. You're competing for the Pac-12 title. Yeah, and uh, you know Oregon State needs a quarterback. <laughs> That's that. And look, I mean that with all due credit to Ben Goldbrunson. You look, he was six and one. I didn't even know who that guy was at the start of the season, truly. And uh, I mean, he did just enough to get it done. But if if Smith had, I mean, just a just a gunslinger back there, someone that could really really command an offense, make big-time throws consistently. Goldbergson made his share of big-time throws. He did. He did. Uh, You wonder, would this team be looking at an 11th win right now or even bigger than that? It's uh, That's got to be job number one 
uh, after this bowl game for Jonathan Smith. Look, contract in hand, Trent Bray, contract in hand. You're going to go down you're to uh, Vegas. You're going to try to get double-digit wins for the first time in 16 years. Handle your business, and then you have got to get a quarterback. Speaking of... Did you see who was uh, visiting Mr. Chip Kelly today? I did. I saw that tweet by him himself. Yeah, Dante Moore, uh, Ducks commit, number two prospect, uh, down down at UCLA hanging out with Chip Kelly. I do wonder what exactly this because he has not officially decommitted, correct? I don't believe so. Yeah. Not, not that I've seen. Yeah, so he's obviously uh, with Kenny Dillingham, who was the main recruiter there, moving on to Arizona State. Obviously still got his options open, and it's an interesting situation. Because, look, I mean, Oregon, so much depends on uh, what's Bo Nix's draft grade going to come out at. Because if somehow he's a day one, you, you know, draft pick, you, you got to enter the draft. But if you're going to be like a fifth rounder, man, come back, get that NIL money, and you've got unfinished business. But beyond that, or even including that, a lot of questions you talk about potentially needing a quarterback. It's not just Jonathan Smith. I mean, Dan Landing might need one. Well, you thought you had landed one, but... With success, on at least on the offensive side, comes these sorts of things. Guys get promoted. Guys get head coaching gigs. They leave, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the big-time recruit goes, well, wait a minute. The guy that I wanted to uh, call my plays isn't going to be there. I'm going to go ahead and look again. Obviously, I'm not going to say, you know, Duck fans should or shouldn't be nervous. Like, but to what degree should they be nervous? Obviously, this is not completely secure. It's not a done deal. Should they be panicking? Or is this just a kid just, well, just seeing what's out there? I mean, I feel like nowadays, you know, with all the NIL money and all the stuff that's out there in the open, I feel like it's recruiting 24-7, 365. Like, you should never feel comfortable until you see that guy on your team that you root for and on the field, like, on that Saturday, right? So I feel like it's always that. They're always recruiting to keep guys back. There's a lot of guys in the transfer portal that weren't expected to go to the portal. Like you have to re-recruit your guys all the time. So if you're a duck fan, like I would never feel comfortable that Dante Moore is coming to Eugene for sure. But what I will say is at least you're being thought of, right? Like he has said, he's committed there. You're in the mix. And I think that's all you can ask for. And then you got to hope that's where, that's where you pay you get, uh, the coaches, the big money. And that's when you bring him in. And Dan Lane has got to bring him into Oregon. I think he can, I don't know if he will, but uh, that, that's why you pay those guys to have money. Yeah, definitely uh, a pretty big plot of this offseason here. Got to see uh, if you can actually land that guy. I mean, look, uh, we, we saw Ty Thompson. Everyone clamored for Ty Thompson last season uh, with Anthony Brown really, I mean, playing fairly uh, mediocre Football. By the way, he got on the field for the Ravens the other day. It was kind of nice to well, see. He, he may play this week, too, because uh, yeah. Tyler Huntley in concussion protocol. Yeah. Lamar Jackson probably not playing. So Yeah, exactly. But uh, Duck fans clamoring for Ty Thompson last year. And then they've sort of seen why he didn't, uh, he didn't step onto the field. Of course, Butterfield is gone. You don't know what Ty Thompson's going to do. You don't know if Nix is coming back. You don't know if you've landed Dante Moore. A lot of questions there. But I do want to go back to Corvallis. I mean, that is that is job number one for Jonathan Smith. I mean, he's done such a good job turning that team around. I remember, man, in 2018, that defense, like without exaggeration, that was like a really good high school defense. 
And that's not a compliment. <laughs> you know what I mean? And to turn it around where they're straight up winning games against good teams defensively. Look, you saw they lost the game against USC, but you saw what that defense did. The defense kept them in games. They were making big plays. Just unbelievable. Huge, huge amount of credit to everyone on that staff. Jonathan Smith just puts together a great program. Uh, doesn't feel like it's been for almost five years now or five years now, uh, but it has been. And we all knew from the beginning. I remember sitting in this very chair. Technically, it was your chair, Stephen. And just saying, like, man, we got to give this guy some time. Like, this program is in the gutter. And we used to do here on the, the flagship station of this show in Portland, we used to do these college football Saturdays. We would uh just all hands on deck and we'd go from 7 a.m. to midnight. Just constant local programming. We're talking college football. And we get like Neil Lomax and uh you, you know we had some other other great voices uh come in and do the shows and I had a show and I would get to do and this sounds like it's not ideal, but it actually is. I'd be doing the late night stuff. I'd do like a four-hour block, 8 p.m. to midnight. And the reason it was rad is when you have home games, everyone is driving back from Corvallis and Autzen, and they get in range of our signal. They call up the program, and we chop it up. I could not get Beaver phone calls for the life of me. And the phone lines were constantly lit up like I was having a telethon, man. It was like I was curing muscular dystrophy, but no Beaver fan could call. No one was excited, no matter what. Even the game, oh, you hung in? It was a moral victory. You only gave up 28 points. That's good. Nope, nope. And now here we are just a few years later looking for win number 10. You beat your rival. I'm just calling it the Civil War. It is uh, just big fist bump to the Beavers, Beaver fans. It, it, it's just so great to see. 503-417-7575. We'll go away, come back on the other side. Got a huge show ahead today. Uh, I do want to talk about the uh, your Heisman race. Caleb Williams is your Heisman Trophy winner. I got no beef with that. But uh, going down the list, did the voters get it right? We'll talk about it next. This is the BFT on the BFT Radio Network. The Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. This is the Bald Face Truth. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. He's taken some well deserved time off. I'm happy to keep the seat warm for him. Hope happy you're rolling with me on a Monday. Heisman was announced your winner this weekend. No surprise, USC's Caleb Williams is your 2022 Heisman Trophy winner. 544 first-place votes. The order of the finalists, second place goes to TCU's Max Dugan, followed by Ohio State's C.J. Stroud and Georgian's Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett fourth. So Caleb Williams... Just a monster season for the Trojans. More than 4,000 yards, 37 touchdowns against four interceptions. He also had 10 rushing TDs. He's just the sixth sophomore ever to win the Heisman Trophy. Voters got it right. Caleb Williams, your Heisman Trophy winner. Looking down the list, 
Uh, Steven, how do we feel about Max Duggan second, CJ Stroud third? I think we all agree Stetson Bennett fourth there, but I'm I'm curious what you think about second and third place there. Yeah, I'd argue Stetson Bennett should be lower, but that's a different conversation. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's okay. Uh, Max Duggan, you know, a lot of it is just team success, and TCU came out of nowhere, right? Unranked at the start of the season, and to finish number three in the nation, make the college football playoff, you got to give Max Duggan credit. I mean, and then you look at the numbers, 30 touchdowns, four interceptions as well. Um, I think CJ Stroud's probably a better player. I think CJ Stroud also has the better talent around him. So it's kind of one of those things, Peter, like how much do you put into the talent around you? How much do you put into your win-loss record? How much do you put into the fact that TCU was unranked and Ohio State was, what, number two, number one at the yeah. start of the season? So. You know, I think it's all a combination. I think I'm fine with Max Duggan being number two. I would have had a problem if Max Duggan would have won over Caleb Williams. I think that would have been uh, a little egregious. But to have him at number two over CJ Stroud, I'm okay with it. I think CJ Stroud's a better player, but I can understand why. Max Duggan was the uh, number two in Heisman. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but it really does bear repeating. I mean, just nothing but quarterbacks now. Like the Heisman Trophy goes to the best college football player each year. And JC brought it up. Stetson Bennett's not even the best player on his team, man. And, I mean, I understand. Who's the last defensive player to win? Is it still uh, uh, Woodson in 97? Woodson, yeah. yeah, 97. I mean, I get it. It's very, very difficult to win it as a defensive player. But, I mean, we're not. we're only seeing quarterbacks even. It's not... Even just a mix of like, oh, there's no, you know, premier, you know, safety or, you know, corner or something like that. We're, we're not even seeing running backs. There's no outstanding wide receiver. It's literally, it's just the quarterback award. And we already have a quarterback award. Uh, so I don't know why we're having another one. But uh, I tend to agree with you. I actually like the uh, the order of the voting, assuming that it does need to be four quarterbacks and Stetson Bennett does need to be among them. I mean, no disrespect to Stetson Bennett. I mean, we all saw the year he had last year and Georgia just kept it rolling this year. I mean, seemingly even better this year than they were last year. And that's even dealing with some injuries. Um, but uh, Duggan in second place makes sense. CJ Stroud. I mean, all these guys had a phenomenal year. I almost wonder if, like you said, Ohio State, was, uh, they opened the year ranked second, you know, and that combined with the receiving weapons that Stroud has, I almost wonder if that was held against him. Like Harrison Jr. is so, so good. Like, I feel like that dude can make me look good if I was throwing him the ball. Do you think that's taken into account? Because seemingly it would be in that situation. But then again, you look at Georgia again and you go, well, Stetson Bennett, like the only reason he's there is because he has the best tight end room in the, you know, in the league. And of course he's playing, it's like he's playing with a 15 point lead just because of that defense. Every time he steps on the field. No, I think it's a huge, it's a huge deal with it has to do with it because you look at the numbers. If you just go numbers wise, CJ Stroud beats Mac Duggan in every single stat, stat, no. stat category, except for rushing the ball, which I mean, as a quarterback, that's not necessarily what you need to do, but throwing the football, CJ Stroud beats Max Duggan basically every single spot. He's the better player, but the talent that Ohio State has, and they weren't even with Jackson Jackson Smith in Jigba for most of the season. Like he could have been their best receiver. So I think it does have a lot to do with it. Uh, it's definitely more of a narrative award now. It's almost turned into kind of like what the NBA MVP is, just basically a narrative award. It's never going to go to the best player. Never going to go to the most valuable. It's just going to go to whoever the media likes at this time. Because remember, for a th for a stretch there. 
it was all about Hendon Hooker and Tennessee because they had just beaten Alabama. They wanted somebody different. He was having the best season. He was the big-time favorite. Then he gets hurt, and then it was Caleb Williams out of nowhere just kind of came out of nowhere to win, to win the award. It's all about just a narrative and who the media falls in love with. It's, it's not even about the best player because if it was, like, Max Duggan wouldn't be up there. Caleb Williams probably still is in the yeah. top four. C.J. Stroud could be. Uh, Stetson Bennett definitely not. So, like, it, it's all about just who the media likes at that time. And, you know, for Caleb Williams and USC, they they had a great season. They lost one game in the regular season and then lost that uh, Pac-12 title game. And he got it, and he got the trophy. See, and, and that's the challenge. And this isn't even strictly uh, isolated or only in the case of the Heisman. When you have media members voting on awards, there's always the risk of, well, I, I didn't. You know, you can't watch every game for every team all season long or even every game for, you know, 15 teams that are going to have the candidates all season long. You're relying on numbers. You're relying on, like you you put it, that narrative that gets created. Again, and I love that you brought up the NBA MVP example. It's exactly the same. MLB, I know you're not a big baseball guy. It's been doing that forever. I could go back literally 31 years. My guy, Terry Pendleton, won it from the worst to first Braves. No, 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 no. The MVP that year was Barry Bonds. But the media didn't like Barry Bonds because he was a jerk. And so instead they gave it to a dude who hit like 308 with 22 homers instead of the best player in the game who had an elite season. And that's the challenge, though, because what do you do? You can't – you if you take it away from the media – which I have no, you know, sort of like moral issue with. It's fine to do. But then who do you give it to? We've seen it in the NBA, for example, like when you're talking about the all-star stuff. If you let the fans do it, they're going to sandbag the votes. And I know the leagues don't really have problems with that because that's driving fan engagement, which is what makes them money. If you have the players vote, never forget the year that Mo Harkless voted himself as an all-star. They don't take it seriously. They don't have a chance to watch all these games. They're busy prepping. You think, you know, you you, you think a star quarterback who's taking a class load, and I don't care how light or comical his class load is, he's still got to do that work. Plus, watch game film. Plus, study. Plus, hit the the weights. You know, all the things that go on with that. You think he's going to be informed and be able to vote? There's no really ideal answer here yeah and you know when it comes to the pros like they're gonna vote for themselves because they have incentives in their contracts mo harkless i'm sure had an incentive said hey if if you're an all-star you get a certain amount of money so why would i not vote for myself like who cares if anyone doesn't take it seriously and i'm with you with the quarterbacks like if the players it's tough because you know college football especially is such a uh such a regional sport where you know you got pac-12 fans you got sec fans you got big 10 fans and it's more about the conference and the region, and then you rival with one another. It's not even necessarily about the entire nation. Like you're not like some people just don't care about SEC football. The people in the SEC don't care about the Pac-12 football, so they're not even going to watch. So there is like no right answer. I think this is probably the best way to do it, but it can get so it's just so lazy, right? It's just such a lazy thing to say who's right. who's the number one team, Georgia. Who's their quarterback, Stetson Bennett? Okay, perfect. He'll be in my Heisman race. Like that, that doesn't make sense. But at the same time, I don't know what the right answer would be. You unlocked a memory for me when you mentioned uh, Mo Harkless probably having an incentive. Oh, the three-pointers. The three-pointers where, like, with 14 games left in the season, he hit 35% for the year. 
and he had an incentive. It made him like a hundred grand or something like that, 125 grand. He immediately refused to shoot. There were times he was wide open, no one within 18 feet of him. I am not shooting this ball because I'm not messing with my money. But do you blame him? Like, if no. I'm gonna, yeah, exactly, like, I'm going to make a hundred grand, hundred grand. Like, I'm not shooting a three. I don't care. We're going to make the playoffs anyways. <laughs> well, that is true. But, uh, man, classic Mo Harkless. Classic. You know, once upon a time, I really believed that that dude not star but like i believe that guy was going to be like the next like great role player for portland he just never had the the fortitude to really put his skills together he he was athletic as all get out man but i i don't know what it is but it's obvious the other team saw it too because he's been on like something like eight nine teams now well, he had a couple stretches with Portland where you remember he wore like the ninja headband with the, like mm-hmm. the tail on it, and he was awesome for like you know five ten games. Hit stretch. that game winner against the Lakers. Yeah, and then the NBA banned those headbands, and he kind of fell off again. But yeah, like he he's one of those guys that still you know bums around the league, and teams want him because he is six eight and athletic. Like I think everyone sees what you're seeing, and it is disappointing because those are the type of guys that like if they ever get it together and they ever figure it out, like those guys play and make a lot of money yeah well if nothing else he'll always have that hundred thousand dollars that he got from refusing to shoot for a good three weeks that guy maybe even more it might have been a full month he just said i am not shooting from distance it could like a well-designed play ends with him in the corner just bang that corner three nope i'm just gonna go ahead and drive it into traffic he cost them games doing that but you know what cut the check like rashid says c t c baby leave it here Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano here on the Bald Face Truth Radio Network. Got Stephen Vaughn with me as well. Hope you're having a great Monday. Appreciate you rolling with me. Big news day today. Man, a lot to get to. Texas men's basketball coach Chris Beard has been arrested. That was uh, the surprising news that I woke up to this morning. This happened uh, in the wee hours of this morning. You know, nothing good happens after 2 a.m., and uh, this is among it. Uh, he's been arrested on charges of third-degree felony assault. Uh, this happened. He was arrested in Austin, Texas. Police reports indicate he's accused of strangling a family member. Now, Beard's attorney says that Beard is, quote, 100% innocent and should never have been arrested. And, of course, the university says they are aware of the situation. They are currently gathering information. Now, uh, a uh, local papers gathered a little bit uh, more information. The uh, A woman told police that Beard, and this is uh, from her point of view, quote, choked me, threw me off the bed, bit me, bit me, just had to say that again for emphasis, bruises all over my leg, throwing me around and going nuts, end quote. She said the choking lasted for five seconds and impeded her breathing. That's according to police. Now, uh, Coach Beard told police that he has audio recordings that show he was not the primary aggressor, and he was asked if he'd be willing to share those audio recordings, and he said no. So, certainly going to uh, 
withhold judgment on this until more facts come out. Pretty disturbing story, to say the least. I don't know, man. I, I've i never been attacked to the point where I need to bite someone, but I'm not saying it couldn't happen. I mean, I guess it could. You never know. But uh, is it likely? Not necessarily. So the Longhorns scheduled to play tonight versus Rice. How should the university handle this, man? Uh, I did see that Chris Beard will not be the coach tonight. Sure. Uh, John Rothstein just said Texas has suspended Chris Beard without pay per release. Uh, So Rodney Terry, the associate head coach, will be the acting head coach for the game against Rice. I mean, I think that's probably the right choice, right? Like just to be suspended indefinitely until you find out all the facts because you can't have that type of thing. But at the same time, like this is a bad look. This is a bad look if you're the Texas Longhorns. And it's too bad for them because they are having a really good season, number two in the nation. Uh, but, you know, University of Texas come out. They said given the information available, they just have suspended him. So I think that's probably the right choice right now. Uh, but from everything you read, everything you see, it seems like it's going to be very likely that Chris Beard is out as the Texas head coach. Man, it's just uh, just a sad situation. You never want to see any, anything like that. And, uh, you know. The woman in the situation, if 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 what is tr- true, what she said, I mean, she no one deserves that. So that's right. just that's just crazy people uh, going crazy. Yeah, like biting. I don't know, man. That's it's tough. And, and that's the thing. I've certainly never been in any situations like this, but I could under you know if someone's freaking out on you, and you know you at a certain point you have to defend yourself. Uh, biting, I don't know. But again, who knows if that's even true? You know, so yeah. The the woman said they had been arguing about their relationship for days. Um, and then it said she uh, last night she took his reading glasses from his hand and broke them, and then Beard slapped her glasses from her face. Like that's kind of how the how the uh, the physical attack started in her point of view was that she took the glasses, then he slapped her glasses. Yeah, if someone takes my glasses and breaks them in front of me intentionally, I'm just walking away. I'm never talking to that person again. That that's that's a sign that you probably just need to move on in this relationship, even if there's not other stuff. If someone's just going to look you in the eyes and just take them and just and just snap them in half right in front of you, like, what are you going to do? Well, I'm going to quietly walk out this door, and I'm going to go get a U-Haul, and I'm going to come back with my crap, and you're never going to see me again. Uh, nothing good happens after 2 a.m., and uh, apparently that's at least when the phone call was made. Uh, not a good situation all the way around. So I hope the truth comes to light. And, uh, I mean, based on what we uh, have heard in speculation, though, it just sounds like this is one of those situations that never should have happened. It sounds like maybe both parties are at fault here, and it's a bad look. I mean, it potentially might cost him his job, man. Yeah, and he's one of the best, you know, college basketball coaches in the nation. You know, mm. he started at Arkansas Little Rock and led them to a victory in the NCAA tournament with Texas Tech, got them to the national championship game. Now he's at Texas where he's really, you know, the joke is always Texas is back. Like, he's brought Texas back. They're number two in the nation. They're really good. Um, so as a as a basketball guy, like, I like watching Chris Beard teams play. Like, they, they play a fun sure. style. It plays really good defense. Um, but like you said, I just want all the information, and no matter what the truth is, I want the truth to come out, and then we can reevaluate at that point. But I think right now, Texas made the right choice to suspend him just indefinitely uh, until they figure out exactly what is going on. Well, hopefully, especially if he's gone or he's suspended for the year, whatever happens, I mean, hopefully that doesn't derail the the Longhorn season. They're 7-1 and one or something like that, and I mean, the players are working hard here, and you would feel 
terrible if things sort of fall apart through something that's outside of their control. And it, it won't necessarily, I mean, go to the NBA. We all looked at the Boston Celtics to take a huge step back uh, with the Ime Odoka mess. Well, they're the best team in the NBA under Joe Missoula, you know, who's like 34 years old, just filling in as an interim. I mean, they're flying. They, they have like the best offense in NBA history right now. So it's not necessarily uh, going to be a step back for Texas. Yeah, I mean, it, it, the difference is, though, you know, professionals versus the right. non-professionals. Of I, course. But, of course, you know, hopefully for the players, right? Like, the players didn't ask to be put in this situation, so you would hope that they can, you know, gather it up and uh, come together as a team, basically, and play hard in spite of their coach uh, doing these type of things to, to a woman. Like, that's just bad. So hopefully, yeah, like you said, hopefully they can continue to play well. Uh, you know, Rice isn't a very good opponent, but it'll be interesting when they go into conference play right. with this lingering and the college crowds and the students. You know things are going to be said. Uh, you just hope that those kids, man, are mentally tough and can kind of block out all that noise because there's going to be a lot of noise coming, especially, you know, from those you know stupid drunk college mm-hmm. kids when they're watching uh, watching Texas play. Yeah, it really can go one of two ways, can it? Like, either this team's going to collapse to to some degree. I mean, look, talent's going to take them where talent's going to take them. But uh, this sort of could derail their season where right now they're looking at, at uh, a nice long run. Or, you know, sort of counterintuitively, they can come together. They can really rally together as a group and say, look, man, this... This happened to us. This is out of our control. We can only control what we can control, and that's the 40 minutes on the court every game that we're playing. Let's get together. Let's rally. Let's play strong, and it could really galvanize them. It's going to be kind of interesting to, to see, and I haven't really started. Stephen, I've told you I didn't really start paying attention to uh, college basketball until uh, until uh, January. Uh, so I was, uh, I did not know that Texas was, uh, ranked as highly as, uh, they are. And, uh, have you caught some Longhorns basketball this year? Yeah, they've had a couple good wins. They beat, uh, they beat Gonzaga early in the year mm. in, it was, the game was in Austin and their brand new arena, uh, basically opened up against Gonzaga and they, they crushed Gonzaga in that game. They just lost, uh, at Madison Square Garden to Illinois in an overtime game that they were up by, I think six with like 30 seconds left. They blew that lead in their final game. So they're a really good team. Uh, you know, just like in every college sport, a lot of transfers are on that team. A lot of veterans on that team. It's not necessarily, you know, the young freshmen that, uh, you know, some of these teams have like Duke and Kentucky. Right. It's more of a team that has, they've built uh, by getting a lot of transfers in, a lot of veteran players. So, yeah, I think this team, I think this team will be fine on the court. Uh, it's just going to be very interesting to see, you know, losing the maybe the best coach. Like, I would probably argue he's the best coach in the nation. That's how good he is as a basketball coach. How much does that affect these guys? Because it probably will. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch. So Chris Beard uh, has been arrested. He is charged with third-degree felony assault. Not a good situation. We'll go away, come back on the other side. Let's talk some NFL, shall we? We had a great slate of games this weekend. By the way, what's up with the Detroit Lions, man? It just goes to show Vegas knows what's up. Because, look, you have the Vikings, who had a great record. The Lions were favored over the Vikings. And, oh, looky what happened. Uh, Vegas knew what was up. But I want to talk about Tom Brady. So Tom Brady, never forget the day he quote unquote retired. Uh, I was here when that went down. We were doing a selection Sunday show and uh, obviously he came back. A lot of life events going on. Tom Brady reportedly when it comes to playing is now keeping all options open. But should he? We'll talk about that next. I am Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. 
You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the Bald Face Truth on the BFT Radio Network. Great to be with you on a Monday. Let's talk some NFL, shall we? Great slate of uh, of uh, games this weekend. Uh, 49ers, you know, we Stephen, we were debating that game uh, at the uh, end of Friday's show, I believe it was. And, uh, yeah, it turns out betting on San Francisco and Brock Purdy, probably the right call. Yeah, the uh, the Bucks was not the right call on that one. Uh, Brock Purdy better than the goat, Tom Brady. Yeah, it was it was very impressive. Now I do have to sort of question a decision that the 49ers made, and it turns out they got lucky. But you're up relatively big, and you're running your wide receiver up the middle. You don't need to, but handing it to Debo, who already. We already know it's sort of inferred. It's a little bit out there. He maybe doesn't love the beating that he takes running the ball. He'll do it. He's super talented, all world talent. But he got rolled up while taking a tackle, and it looked really bad. I'm going to be honest. It looked really, really bad. He's writhing in pain. He's grabbing his leg, the front of his knee. I was thinking patellar tendon, maybe ACL because he moved his hand to the back uh, of his knee. Thinking, oh, man, here you are. You did not need to do that. And you just uh, you just locked up this guy. Remember, he held out. He got the new contract. And now all of a sudden, boom, he's gone. Right when we're starting to think, man, the Niners are real. They have Christian McCaffrey, Brock Purdy. He can keep this offense settled down like we're looking good. The defense is great. And now you've lost this guy. Well, you've sort of lost this guy. It's a high ankle sprain in theory. And there's no real timeline out there yet, but it is conceivable he could be back for the playoffs. But I'll tell you, Steven, I hated that play call based on the score in the situation. Yeah, it's it's a weird call because the 49ers were in control of the game, right? And you know Debo Samuel can do that. Early in the year, Trey Lance, you have him running up the, up the middle, lose him for the season. Mm-hmm. It just seems like a weird spot, a spot that was unnecessary to be running you know, your best player. Like, he is the best offensive player on this San Francisco 49ers team. And to run him up the middle, it just it's not necessarily his game. Like, he can do it, like you said. He can do it, and he can do it well in certain situations. But it's not the type of player you want to do it every single play or even do it in spots where you don't need the yards. Like, it's great in the playoffs when you need a yard or two and you can give it to Debo and he can do it. But in a game against the Bucks, when you're up by a lot, bad choice, I think, by the 49ers right there. And I think they are lucky because without Debo, like, you know, I thought with without you know without the quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo and they have to go Brock Purdy in there, it's going to be tough to win a Super Bowl. I think without Debo, like it might be really tough. Like they would yeah. ha- they wouldn't even have a chance. I don't know. Like he's that good of a quarterback. Uh, you know, like you said, ankle sprain, MCL sprain. They say he's expected to be back in the regular season, but at this point, like, why do you even push that? Why don't you just save him for the playoffs? Just a weird spot, and it's one of those things where the coaches outthink themselves. And we've seen this in numerous spots in all types of sports. Like coaches don't need to outthink yourself. Just, just think to yourself, okay, can Debo get hurt in this game that we don't necessarily need? Yeah, okay, let's not run him up the middle. Let's, let's yeah. just make the smart play, or only do it 
in a situation that really warrants it, like yeah. really calls for it. So, but yeah, you did hit on it. The, the news just within the last hour, uh, Adam Schefter has it. So sprained MCL, high ankle sprain. He is expected to return during the regular season. Uh, what that means, don't exactly know, even if that's, oh, in the final week, just to kind of test things out before the playoffs. But I certainly wouldn't mess with that too hard. Now on the other side of that game, you have Tom Brady. Uh, he could be set now for another year in the NFL. So originally, uh, sources say Brady planned to step back from football football for good after this season. But now that he's, uh, you know, he went through his recent divorce uh, from Giselle, uh, that may have changed. And he's reportedly keeping all options open and apparently feels good enough to keep playing. And... I look at this and I go, man, like you were the goat. You had your your family, your beautiful wife, all the money in the world, a 10-year contract from Fox where basically you're just shaking hands and being Tom Brady to lure in advertisers. And uh, all you had to do is when you stepped away as the best, the best of all time, you just had to stay there. And instead he comes back and we don't know to the extent that his return to football sort of precipitated the divorce, but we know that it was at least part of it. It was part of it. And I guess, I mean, at this point, it's like, well, here we are. I'm now divorced. I got nothing else to do. I might as well keep playing. And, I mean, he he's shown he can play. He's Look, he's obviously, he's 45 years old. He's He's lost a little bit. But we're still talking 17 touchdowns, five interceptions. Now, that's not 43 and 12 from last year, 40 and 12 from the year before. Still a very, very nice, uh, you know, he's still completing about 66% of his passes right in line uh, with a lot of his better uh, uh, New England years. So there's nothing really on the field that suggests that he should stop. But, I mean, and look, I've learned not to bet against this guy, but at some point, Stephen, I'm waiting for the fall-off to happen. And also, part of me just goes like, you were so close to just having it all, man, and you had to come back for one more year, and it's almost like you feel stuck. Like, okay, I lost this other thing. I might as well just keep going. But do you think it hurts his legacy? Because I don't think it hurts his legacy. Not yet. I mean, but how long is that going to be? Is it going to be another yeah. two years? I mean, it's tough to say, like, you know, you go back to look at, like, Michael Jordan when he played for the Wizards. I don't think that hurt his legacy at all. I think, if, if anything, like, it should say how awesome he was. If you look at his numbers, how good he was and how old he was. But if I'm Tom Brady, like, I don't blame him for wanting to play. Like, he's, he's a football player. He's a baller. Like, he wants to play until the wheels literally fall off. And what more what more fun to do than to play football to something you're so good at and get paid lots of money to do. So I don't blame any of these guys that hold on too long. Uh, I don't I don't I don't try to hold it against their legacy as well because I think back of when he was at his peak, how good he was. But it is interesting that you would say that you think like it hurts his legacy a little bit. Like, you know, if he plays two more years in the Bucks, let's just say don't make the playoffs or his new team doesn't make the playoffs, is that really like are we gonna downgrade him? Like do you downgrade him or do you just say you, you, you should retire. You don't say he's no longer the goat or anything, because again, Michael Jordan. Like, look, MJ was not MJ anymore with the Wizards, but he's still the greatest of all time. So it, it's it adds this sort of subtext. Like we always talk about it. Like when I talk about, oh man, Willie Mays. My dad used to talk about how great Willie Mays was. Oh my gosh, he was the greatest player at every blah 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 blah. 
And then every time I would hear that conversation, it would also be like, yeah, not, uh, at the end with the Mets, he's stumbling around the outfield. So you never take away that Willie Mays was one of the all-time greats, but you just get that little caveat thrown in there. So if you're ranking, and you know us sports guys, we love to rank things even though we shouldn't. It doesn't affect the ranking per se, but it's certain, like I don't, I don't want to remember Tom Brady at 48 with an allegedly carved up face, you know, throwing, you know, being like Joe Namath at the end, just throwing lame duck passes to the opponent. I want to remember Tom Brady carving dudes up instead of his face, driving down, you know, driving 80 yards in a minute and a half in a comeback win, one of his 56 game-winning drives, one of his 44 comeback wins. With, with that said, do you think that Tom Brady has what it takes to be a Super Bowl-winning quarterback still. I know this year, like you said, you brought up the stats. You watch the Buccaneers play. They aren't a very dynamic offense, but let's just say you know you put him in San Francisco or you put him somewhere else on a team that is having a really good year. Can he lead the lead a team to a Super Bowl still with the skill sets that he has? I think, I think at this point it does depend on the team. And to a degree, frankly, I think it's always depended on the team. Like, he needs talent around him. You know, he's not... You know, a Mahomes, like a freak athlete who can just get away on raw skill. It's Tom Brady. It's understanding the game. It's leadership. And back in the day, if he really needed to make a clutch, you know, air it out throw, he could. Maybe not so much anymore. But he's such a great leader. He sees the game so well. And, you know, other quarterbacks, we've seen that with Peyton Manning in Denver. He couldn't throw the ball 20 yards anymore. But the game, he was like Neo in the Matrix seeing the game. I think Tom Brady could do it, but he needs he needs a little more talent around him than he used to. Yeah, I think definitely you're right on that. Like, it's the elite skill that he had, like it used to be, you know, he was so good at throwing that short pass, the short intermediate pass. Now his elite skill is his brain, right? Like, yeah. that's that's the elite skill he has. So you're right. Like, he has to be on the, on the perfect team. He's just not as skilled as he once was, but, uh, you know, I don't blame him for wanting to play. It will be interesting to see what he does next year. Doesn't seem like Tampa Bay really wants him back. Doesn't seem like he wants to go back to Tampa Bay. Seems like it'll be a bad fit. Someone's going to want him uh, to be that last final piece to get the Super Bowl push. Let's go to the Rams, baby. Let's, hey, oh, let's do it, TB. Oh, he's better than Baker? You don't want Baker in there? <laughs> hey, the legend of Baker was born last Thursday night. He'll uh, he'll get the Rams to seven wins. Uh, coming up on the other side, that's the end of hour number one. Trailblazers are in action tonight in just a few hours, taking on the Timberwolves. We will kick that game around, tell you what you need to know to watch that. And we did get a little bit of news on GP2. I'll share that as well. BFT, Samson and for Kanzano. B-F-F-T From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland Presented by High Caliber Millwrights In for John Canzano Here's Peter Sampson with the Bald Face Truth Welcome in Hour number two of the Bald Face Truth On the BFT Radio Network I am Peter Sampson I am in for John Canzano While you take some well-deserved time off it's a grind. Like, it's a marathon, not a sprint, if you're John Canzano. That being said, if you ever watch a marathon, what do they do for the last mile? It's their version of sprinting, right? Like, they're not going full, you know, Ben Johnson or something. And no, I don't mean uh, shooting up anabolic steroids. I just mean uh, they're, they're not full on sprinting, but they're going as hard as they can. They close strong. And that's what John Canzano does at the end of the year every year. He closes strong. College football. He covers the Pac-12 like no one else. 
He goes to the stadiums. He chases the story. He goes where the story is. Of course, he's also got the BFT Foundation. We did that last week, the Radiothon. Very successful, by the way. If you donated and you helped kids in need, thank you so much. If you're not in a position to give, I get that. I've been there. But you listened or you helped spread awareness. Maybe you just retweeted a tweet or you told someone that uh, likes to donate. Hey, man, there's this radio show going on. It's uh, It helps uh, buy uh, you know sports equipment uh, for kids that can't afford to buy mitts for Little League. Or it sends them to a, a, on a field trip or so they can rent their saxophone for music lessons. Something like that. If you did that, thank you. So after all that, Jay-Z, just taking a tiny bit of time off just to recharge. Because, again, it's a marathon, not a sprint, but that last mile of the year. You got to go hard. Portland Trailblazers are in action tonight, taking on the T-Wolves again. Side note, Stephen Vaughn, I don't know how much I love the NBA's new obsession with having like little mini MLB style series, you know, like oh, the Atlanta is in New York for four. You, you know what I mean? Like now you have the NBA. Oh, the Blazers are in Phoenix for a pair of games. Oh, the T Wolves are in Portland for a pair. Do you like this? Like I like a different team every night. I can see the appeal because you get adjustments, right? It's a little more like a playoff series, and that's how they shake out. Someone wins, and then the other team, well, can they see how their game plan got exploited? How do they adjust? How they uh, change you know, matchups and bounce back? You get that more in the regular season, but like I just saw the T-Wolves. I don't necessarily need to see them again. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't necessarily like it. I understand why they did it. Right, it was during COVID. That's why they were doing yeah. initially the start of of it. And I do think there are some things you can take away from it. You touched on that. You can see how coaches really adjust from game in to game out, and it, it does give you a little bit of preview of the playoffs because you see adjustments every single game of the playoffs. But I don't necessarily like it. I like to see the new teams roll in uh, every you know every new day when they play a new game. So I'm with you. I just saw the T Wolves play. I want to see someone else play, and I don't know why they're still doing it. Like it doesn't make sense to me why they're still doing it. I mean, I understood during COVID times, but now it's kind of like, all right, let's let's get back to how we used to do it. Yeah, I'm I'm a hundred percent in agreement. I can take it in the very rare instance, you know, like let's say it's just one of those nights because if there's one like sort of process I could watch in the world, it would really be, and this might be nerdy or dumb or whatever, I don't know, but I'm telling you the truth. I would want to watch the NBA schedule get made because it has to be balanced. You know, you have to play, you know, if you're a West Coast team, if you're Portland, you got to play everyone in the West four times, except there's a team that you can play three times and you got to play everyone in the East twice. And then here's where it gets wonky is you have to make the travel somewhat make sense. You can't go, okay, so we start our road trip in Charlotte, and then the next game on the road trip we play Golden State, and then we play Boston, and then we play Indiana, and then we play Miami, and then we're back in Portland. You have to sort of have these swings, and you have to manage that and have equal amounts of road, home, length of road trip, miles traveled to a degree. Portland, until the Supersonics come back, always travels the most just by nature where they are. And then, oh, by the way, all of these arenas, all 30 arenas, it's like, oh, yeah, 
and Adele is performing that night. So figure something out. Oh, the Backstreet Boys got together for the first time in 20 years, and they're at Moda Center, so you can't have a home game. And you have to manage that among 30 arenas, and you have to create a fair schedule. I... I think it's like a lot of things where it's half art, half science, but I'm fascinated by either the dude's brain that comes up with this or what has to be absolutely quantum levels of computing power to make this fair. Well, and you know, the, the problem too is like no one's going to give you credit, right? Like no one I don't even know the guy's name that, that makes it. That's the thing. Nobody knows who does it. No one's happy with their schedules usually. Like it's always about like a 75% of the teams hate their schedule. Like, oh yeah. man, oh, four game road trip, what are we doing? You know, you look at the NFL schedule, they hate the schedule. Like, you're never going to get credit for it. And, like, it's got to be such a stressful job. Like, oh, hey, uh, so let's have a game on, uh, you know, December 12th. Oh, wait, Adele's in town? Oh, okay. Well, who's now? Oh, now we got, uh, you know, bare naked ladies in town. What are we doing here? Bare naked ladies? I don't know. I just thought of something. That's a, that's a deep cut. I Thank like you. that. Thank you. Yeah. Throw some respect on their name. That's B- what I'm doing. B&L is triple platinum. Are you? Yeah. No. Adele and bare naked ladies. That's why I... <laughs> I love that. Thank you. But it's it's really, really difficult to manage. And a lot of times, like, if you're a music fan like I am, not to get too deep down this tangent, I'm going to talk this tonight's game in a second, but you have bands that are announcing tours. It happens all the time. Uh, I was just looking. I can't, I can't recall off the top of my head who it was. But, oh, so-and-so is touring. Yes. Yes. This is awesome. What? You're skipping Portland? Lo and behold, the the day between the Seattle show and the San Francisco show, oh, Blazers have a home game. And we're, you know, at least here in Portland, we're that size of city where, like, we have a Moda Center. We have a Memorial Coliseum. But we only have one of each of those. You know what I mean? So for a big act, you know, we don't have – you can't put them in an NFL stadium or something like that. We don't have a hockey arena. Uh, I, I know. I know Winterhawks play in Memorial Coliseum, but we don't have an NHL arena. So if they're occupied, out of luck. And if it's a big enough act, they're not going to be like, oh, okay, well, instead of playing to 14,000 people, we'll just play to 3,000 people at the Schnitz. No, not worth it. So Portland gets skipped all the time based on this schedule. It's it's a really interesting dance that the entertainment industry and the sports industry are doing here to, you know, we want to book this arena out and you have to see when it's available or you get way ahead of it and you book it out and then the schedule maker, they have to sort of acquiesce to what you have done. Again, if I could see one process, that's what I'm watching. I have to know how it's done, man. Very, very interesting stuff. So the Trailblazers, no Adele at Moda Center tonight. Trailblazers are at Moda Center tonight, taking on the T-Wolves. We saw them on Saturday. The Blazers won. I think it was 124-118 off the top of my head. A very defensive optional game. Very defense optional. Blazers gave up 39 in the second. I remember that. And uh, it looked like they were going to blow this game. It was one of those games where they would step on the throttle and immediately let up. And Minnesota, like, honestly, if that was any team other than the Timberwolves, they win that game based on the Blazers. It was perimeter defense, and we talked about this on my show, The Pulse, Stephen, where it's starting to look like the defense of previous years. They would absolutely just die on any screen and roll on the perimeter. Oh, you, you take a screen from Gobert, well, just go ahead and just collapse. 
throw yourself six feet underground because Gobert screened you. There was no fighting through, so they went back to switching everything, which they weren't doing a ton of this season. We would see elements of that. Remember in the preseason, that was all they did, and they were the worst team I've maybe ever seen this preseason. And then it turned out like, oh, they were just practicing that. And now they're fighting through. They're playing man. They're doing elements of switching. They'll even pop into a zone for a couple minutes and do pretty well with that. Dare a team to shoot them out of the zone and get back. Uh, it was not a pretty sight. Dame and Anthony Simons, the real ant, because he had ant versus ant in the in this game. Uh, they each go for 30 for the first time in their career. It was old school. You had to have the two shooting guards both get hot in the same night to bail them out. Otherwise, they lose this game. Oh, no doubt. And that's the thing is, you know, they were down by 10, you know, late in the third quarter, and it was not looking good because Minnesota was doing whatever they wanted to. And like you said, getting into the paint and putting Nurk in a bad spot. Like, Nurk takes a lot of a lot of grief from fans, and people don't like Nurk. I, I don't necessarily love Nurk. I don't hate him, but... I understand that he can be a good defender, but he gets put in a lot of bad spots. And 100%. I, and Saturday night, like he got put in a ton of bad spots where he has to help out all his teammates, and then Rudy Gobert gets an open dunk, or Nas Reed gets an open dunk. Like That it, that happens all the time, and that's what happened with the Terry Stotts regime. And this is what I'm worried about, Peter, is that the Blazers are falling back into the trap of, okay, well, now that Dame is healthy, Dame and Ant, they can go off for you know, 60, 65, 70 points combined, we don't have to be a good defensive team to win games. We're 24th in defense, but you know what? We're 7th, 6th in the Western Conference. We're ninth overall, I believe, in offensive rating. That's only going to go up. That's been going way up, trending up. I mean, they were like 15th a couple you know, a couple days ago. Yeah. Now they're at number 9. Like, that offense is trending. Are we falling back into the trap of, hey, Damon Ant, just bail us out, score all these points, and defense is optional again? I just hope that's not what it is. But it's kind of trending that way to me, and I'm a little worried about it. Yeah, I I hope we're not as well because even if it wins games, it well it wins games in the regular season. We all know, and I'm going to say championships, even though I have no delusions of the Blazers winning a championship. But let's say playoff games. Playoff games are won with defense. Yes, you can occasionally just go nuclear and Dame goes for, you know, 50 or something like that and you win. But what did we see last year in the playoffs against Denver? Dame went for 60 and they lost, or 55, I think it was. He played one of the best games you've ever seen and they lost. Uh, No defense. And I don't want this to be a trend again. It was so much fun watching them D up, watching them move the ball, watching them rely on uh, the supporting cast. It was phenomenal. But... I'm okay occasionally with, hey, if nothing else is working, Dame and Ant, just bail us out, man. That's fine. Because sometimes that's what it takes is you just need to rely on your shooter shooting because nothing else is working. But when you're defaulting to that, that's a big problem. Now, the good news is I don't think that's going to be the case. Now, the defense is a different story altogether, but at least offensively, I mean, Jeremy Grant, you know, he's got to get his touches. Yusuf Nurkic is going to have his nights. And just up and down the list, you're going to see that. I mean, Josh Hart has started shooting the ball a little bit more uh, on and on and on. Basically, everyone but Justice Winslow. Winslow's really regressed for Portland. And I think he's just hurt. But I don't want to see them relying on it out of the gate. Again, it's a game where nothing's working. Plays are getting busted. You're getting deed up. Uh, and, you, okay, Dame, Ant, bail us out. But when that's the game plan from the get-go, you got a real 
problem. We and we've we've seen it for years. Literally for years we've seen it as Blazer fans. So I do not want to see a 124-118 game again tonight. Even if it's a Blazers victory, I want to see a little bit of an adjustment. And we've seen from Chauncey Billups, we've seen moments of sort of pulling the right card situationally, especially early in the season. Maybe we've seen pulled the wrong card lately um, as we've progressed through this year. I want to see... Well, I want to see Yusuf Nurkic not guarding swaths of space 17 feet from the hoop is what I want to see. I want to see him with the body still on Rudy Gobert. And it wasn't Nurk's fault that Gobert got off for like 23 points because Nurk got pulled out of position repeatedly. I have to see an adjustment on the pick and roll. Like, look, the pick and roll done properly is there's a reason they still run it 100 years after they invented basketball. But Minnesota doesn't even run a great pick and roll. You're just not defending it well. You have to do better. Right, and it puts Drew Eubanks in a bad spot when he comes in. And you touched on it earlier. Like, this can win games in the regular season. It has. It's been a proven model by so many teams, not just Portland. But when you get down into the playoffs, you have to be able to defend that pick and roll, and you have to do it well. And the way to do it is I know switching is the easiest way to do it because you're going to keep guys on other players like Rudy Gobert won't get loose. But you have to get through to the players that, you know what, that's not the best way to do it. That's yeah. not how we're going to get an advance in the playoffs. we got to fight through some screens. we got to fight on defense. And I want to see if they do that tonight. So this is, you know, we talked about it at the start of the segment. Like, is this a good thing? I think this actually is a good thing for Portland to play Minnesota two in a row because we saw the, the bad way they did it on Saturday against Rudy Gobert. I mean, I don't have any expectations that they're going to change much, and I think Rudy Gobert is going to have another nice game. But it would be very surprising and very nice if Chauncey Phillips comes out and they change it up and Rudy Gobert struggles and they really get through the screens and they fight through. I'm excited to see what they do tonight. Yeah, would love to see it. Uh, Drew Eubanks, Justice Winslow, Josh Hart all day today dealing with nagging injuries. Uh, there is an update on Gary Payton the second. No, he's not active tonight. He's not playing, but the athletic Shams Charania. Uh, and I'm glad I opened this because normally I don't. Uh, he op- He had one of his initial, you know, trade chatter. I've heard uh, articles for the season. And usually it's just it's agents putting stuff out there. It's nothing that informative. But after that, in that piece, he had some news and notes from around the league. Gary Payton the second is targeting uh, return within one to two weeks. Now, targeting does not mean he is going to return, just like he was targeting the regular season, and then two weeks after the regular season, and then December 1st. Yeah, yeah, they've all been targeted, right? But uh, this one just feels a little bit more uh, substantial to me. Uh, Remains to be seen if it's going to happen, but I know he's at least working out three-on-three now, where before he wasn't even cleared to do that stuff. And again, you're talking... Defending the pick and roll and having Nurkic out there left hung out to dry. GP2, while he doesn't magically fix all that, he helps that exact situation so much. I think this is weird. I feel like normal teams would trust the local guys and trust the team more when they come out with these injury reports. Mm-hmm. But when I'm a Blazer fan, like I trust the you know Shams coming out and Woj having these reports way more than I do the team actually saying anything. So for, for that to be reported by Shams of, you know, a week or two, he's hoping to get back. I, I want to tend to believe it where when Portland says, yeah, yeah he's shooting for, uh, you know, the regular season. It's like, no, they're not. No, he's not. He, he's not even close. So I think it is a good sign. Uh, for GP2 to come back, and they need him. They need that guy on this team because right now, Jeremy Grant has been 
the guy who Chauncey Billups has really decided, you know, you're going to go guard the guards, and it hasn't worked. He's no. really he's really bad at getting through screens. That is where GP two, you know, ex, you know, he does a really good job of getting through screens and fighting. And you go back and you look at the game against Denver. Jamal Murray hits that step back jump <sighs> shot over Jeremy Grant. Chauncey gets mad because he can't give up a three in that situation, which is very true. I think Gary Payton, if he's guarding to Jamal Murray like that, he knows you can't give up a wide open step back jumper to a guy who you know is on that all star caliber level in Jamal Murray. So I think it's going to be a big help when Gary Payton II comes back because he fits a need that Portland has that they just don't have anybody that can fill that need right now. That Jamal Murray three, dude, that situation. And look, you always have to give credit to the guy that makes the shot. You made the shot. But he never should have had the opportunity to take that shot. The only thing you do in that situation is you make sure they don't get a three. Even if it means they just drive inside, don't foul, let them have the layup, you go to overtime. That is all that stands between Portland and a four-game winning streak, which doesn't really sound like a huge deal, but you were coming off of losing seven of eight. A nice four-game bounce back from that just shows. It lets you realize that, hey, okay, the wheels weren't actually falling off. You were just hopefully going through that rough stretch that every team goes through. We had Sean Hyken on my local show last week. He said, look, every team I've ever seen except the 73-win Warriors had a rough patch. I think there's a good chance that that was just Portland's rough patch. And again, you let one get away there. And the Western Conference is so tight. It's so tight. It's maybe not as, how can we, it's not as top heavy. And I didn't think it was top heavy. I thought it was balanced, but it's still maybe a little less top heavy than I thought it was because, man. The Blazers 14 and 12 in sixth place. Well, you know, okay, the Timberwolves are are one game back of that, and they're not even in the play-in. And then Portland in sixth place is still only four games back of uh, New Orleans, who's on top of the Western Conference standings right now, 18 and 8. Uh, it's really interesting to see Pelicans, Grizzlies, Nuggets, Suns, Kings, Blazers making up your top six. Uh, not exactly how I saw it, uh, but. Uh, Grizzlies don't surprise me. Nuggets don't surprise me. Uh, Suns, they've managed to hold on considering that they have been without Chris Paul for quite some time. And the Kings catching fire. So the Blazers need to get a win tonight against the T-Wolves. They are favored again in this game last night, or Saturday, excuse me. They were favored by five and a half. Tonight they're favored by four. They have to have to fight through some of those screens on the perimeter. They can't switch everything. And it's okay to switch sometimes. It is. It really is. It, there's a reason that people do it. But if you just rely on that, you're giving Minnesota the opportunity to just choose matchups for you. We dictate what the matchups are based on where we're running the pick and roll. You can't let them have that, at least not extensively. Should be a good game tonight. I like Portland in this game. And uh, we're in that stretch where the schedule has started to get a little bit easier. Blazers, depending on how you slice it, uh, through uh, last week anyway, they had either the most difficult or second most difficult schedule in the NBA. It eases up considerably. uh, So they have a chance to make up some ground here. I'll take your thoughts on that. 503-417-7575. We'll go away. Come back. More sports talk on the other side. Let's get back to the NFL. There's so much going on in the NFL, and we've got a game tonight, Monday Night Football. We'll kick that around as well. Samson in for Kanzano. It's the BFT Radio Network. 
Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Let's just say I'm glad my mic wasn't on during that uh, off-air conversation I had with Stephen Vaughn. I'll leave it at that. There's nothing bad. It was. It, it wasn't inappropriate. No. It was just not meant for the airwaves. There was no dump buttons that would have been used. No. 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 But just, yeah. so, some people might have uh, not enjoyed that too much. Yeah, I think we would have gotten in trouble probably. Some people would have enjoyed it greatly, but uh, others maybe not so much. And you know what? Earlier, in my career, like, if you go back far enough, and I got my start on community radio, you know, college radio, all that kind of stuff. I was all about doing that kind of thing, pushing buttons, alienate people, but other people love it. Oh, I'm so funny. You know, last year I found a bunch of recordings of my uh, like of me like a decade ago on um on a thumb drive or an external drive and I found it. Yeah, uh, kind of funny, mostly just an a-hole, going to be honest. Uh I could never do those shows now. Ever 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 ever, especially in this city. I could never do those shows. But it's good times. I mean, you know, I think people would absolutely love to know what people talk about during the breaks because there are some great stories. There are, there are some great stories from uh, whoever, you know, I've worked with a lot of people. You worked with a lot of people. You hear some things. You hear some stories yeah. that are good that can never be broadcasted over the radio airwaves. It's very true. I, I think that's the best part about this. Like, and there are a lot of great things about it. I, I get paid to watch sports. I mean, you know. You might make a better living than I do. It's probably you probably do, but I do it watching sports. It's awesome. I'm a sort of a conduit for the community when I get put on. Like it's so awesome. I feel so connected. I'm being broadcast across the state right now. It's awesome. And when I do my local show on Fridays, uh, Friday at 6 p.m. here in Portland, man, I always have a uh, adult beverage with me Friday. Because if you can't have an adult beverage Friday at 6 p.m., when in the hell can you? And I solicit pictures. I get pictures from all across the metro area. People sending me a shot of their beer or their uh, their scotch or whatever they're having as we all celebrate the weekend together. It's rad. Uh, but uh, then there's the stuff you hear because you've worked with a lot of people. And you just kind of go, hey, did you, uh, did you hear about this? Is that true? What do you know about this? And I think that might be the best part. It really is. That that was one of the more exciting things when I came over here to find out. I was like, you know what? Is this true? Is this true about this guy? Is this true about this guy? Oh, okay, yeah. All right, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Now I know. Yeah, then there's that. But uh, that's that's a topic for another time. Maybe uh, maybe one day. Uh, uh, maybe pre- Tell. It, it is it is the Christmas season, and maybe one day. Now, look, I'm never going to go out in a in a you know in a ball of flames. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to keep things professional and appropriate, you know, even if I uh, ever do move on from this biz, which I won't. They'll have to pry this mic from my cold, dead hands, and they will, I assure you. But uh, maybe one day on my way out, I will, in an appropriate, non-bridge-burning manner, I'll do a little bit of a tell-all. Uh, it'll be a fun way. It's not going to be anything bad, but uh, a little bit of the behind the scenes, uh, both here and other places, uh, just to give people a little peek behind the curtain, you know? I would love that. I uh, I hope you know. I hope that is not anytime soon, Peter, because I want you on the air. But uh, I can't wait for that show. I'll you know, a lot of people do. Just uh, yeah, let my boss know. <laughs> I can't. I can't wait for that show, though. Tell you what.
Yeah, it'll be a good time. So uh, this show, we are uh, we're going till about five fifteen today because it's Monday. We got some Monday night football on. If you're in Portland, you're going to want to keep that here on seven fifty. The game. If you're in Eugene, Klamath Falls, Roseburg, of course, you're going to want to continue to listen to the fine programming that those stations give you. Steve and Eugene, uh, of course, you know Klamath Falls, Roseburg. Happy to have you as well as part of the uh, the BFT Radio Network. Great stations. Uh, awesome, awesome stuff. But here in Portland, we're going to have uh, the Patriots are heading to Arizona to face the Cardinals. The Pats are 6-6. Six and six, The Cardinals, 4-8. and eight. So we're talking a pair of teams that need a win to stay out of last place in their divisions. Pats are, are two-and-a-half-point favorites, at least last I saw. The over-under, 43-and-a-half, kickoff at 515. Stephen Vaughn. Uh, host of Bet the Game here in Portland. What's your pick for tonight? Yeah, uh, you know, we got a lot of pressure going on right now because, you know, BFT show bet number two. We had uh, the the parlay of the Chiefs and Mm -hmm. the Niners presented by John Canzano himself. That cashed pretty easily. Uh, You know, the Broncos made it a little interesting, but uh, that cashed pretty easily. Uh, For me, you know, I like the Patriots in this one. I think the Patriots, uh, you know, Mac Jones, he's not great, but I also think he's a little underappreciated. I think he can do some things. Uh, when Bailey Zappi came in and won some games, there's always the talk of, well, this should be Bailey Zappi's team. And no, it shouldn't. Mac Jones is more, you know, is a better player than him. Ramondre Stevenson is great at running back. I just don't know that the Cardinals, you know, really have just, you know, the type of uh, the type of team, the type of mentality to go toe to toe with the Patriots team that wants to be physical, that wants to, you know, slow the game down. I do like the Patriots in this game to win and uh, cover the points in that one. Bailey Zappi. <laughs> That's not even a real name, bro. That's like if you're playing Madden and you auto-generate rookie classes. Like, it's like you, a fourth-round kicker. Yeah, yeah, three seasons from now, my kicker, Bailey Zappi from UConn. You know what I mean? Like, no disrespect to Bailey Zappi. It's just that's that's not a real name, bro. But it was. It was a real name, and there was, there was real talk. There was real talk about Bailey Zappi. And at that point, you need to know that's not true. But, I mean, what do you think about this game? I mean, it's not a, on paper, it's not a great game, but I will say, like, the Patriots need to win this game to stay in the playoff race with the Chargers winning last night. Chargers now are above 500 at 7-6. Seven, seven and six. The Dolphins lost. You know, the Patriots win this game. They're only a game back to the Miami Dolphins. And the Jets lose to the Bills. They can tie the Jets. That AFC East is really good. Uh, what do you got to take in this game? You got to lean on this? <sighs> I, I think I like the Patriots to win by a field goal here. I, I mean, can they really finish last place in the AFC East? Now, I know Chargers fans... In Eugene, it's home of the Chargers. I know they want the Pats to lose so they can keep their spot yeah. for the playoffs. I guess I'm leaning Patriots, but I don't really, I don't really have a solid lean either way. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the Cardinals. You never know. Kyler Murray is just the, just that wild card. Right, he is a wild card of all wild cards. Cliff Kingsbury seems like he's kind of lost the team, but with Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins, that offense can still put up some points. I expect, you know, if I'm leaning, I'm leaning over. I'm leaning Patriots in this one. I think there's going to be some scoring as well, but uh, it's an interesting game. It's an interesting game, and I hope that uh, there's a little bit of scoring, a little bit of intrigue, so we can uh, watch the end of the game and have some fun. Yeah, the Cardinals, and I didn't necessarily expect them to maybe take the leap that a lot of people assumed. You know, they got shellacked in the playoffs. Kyler Murray looked like he had never played football before. There was the offseason drama. You know, he wanted that new deal. Well, he got it. I'm a little surprised at the step back they've taken. Now, I know they didn't have Hopkins for a while because of the suspension. And, man, Hopkins, the best hands in the NFL, man. I love me some DeAndre Hopkins. Kyler Murray is 
fine. I understand why they paid him. You have to. I maybe think he lacks a little bit of maturity. Kingsbury is fine. It's just something about that combination. It just doesn't seem to work. What like what can you pinpoint with this team? Like what went wrong? I mean, it's got to be the coaching staff. It's got to be Kingsbury. I I feel like this is a team, Peter. And disagree if you want me on this one, but I feel like if they get a good coach that can really jive with Kyler Murray, it's easier to say than done, right? To jive with Kyler Murray and get him going. But I do think if they get a really good coach that can get on the same page as that as that quarterback, this is a team that can be a playoff team year in and year out. Like you look at that division, I know it's tough. I know the Niners are good, but I think they're more talented than the Seahawks. The Rams this year have looked terrible. Like the Cardinals yeah. are just as good as the Rams are, I think, uh, especially with their quarterback situation. Like the Cardinals should be better than they are. I just think it's got to be the coaching staff. And if you get a good coach in there, Kyler Murray is one of the more talented quarterbacks in the NFL that I do think can be really good. He just, he's got to get his head on right. And he's got to get the coach that really can motivate him. I, you know, am I wrong on this to think that the Cardinals should be better? No, I, I agree. And again, I'm not a huge Kyler Murray fan. Now, to be fair, Kyler Murray has been better than I thought he was going to be. Frankly, I, I thought the guy should have just went and played baseball. I was wrong, like fully wrong. He's good, but... He doesn't seem to rise up to the huge moments. He seems really, uh, and this might not be fair, but again, I don't know Kyler Murray, but I see what goes on on the social media. It's a lot of me. It's a lot of me. Well, Kyler, you're a super high draft pick. You're the quarterback. You had the keys handed to you. You got the contract. You got everything. At a certain point, you got to go win some ballgames. And if you want that contract, which you got, you got to be the man. You're getting paid like the man. Be the man. And there has been something when he signed that contract and the initial reports were, you know, there was the uh, the research clause, basically. Like, you have to do studying on the, your opponents. You can't be playing video games. Like, mm. that is something that has to always be remembered. Like, yeah, they took it out because of all the backlash. But to have that put in your contract, and that's not a normal thing, <laughs> There is uh, there's something to that story where he wasn't doing all that he can and I just think I think it's like you said, it's maturity. It's uh, you know, he's gotta be unselfish, and that's just not Kyler Murray right now. Yeah, someone I, I remember when that clause in the contract broke, someone uh put up his numbers versus when Call of Duty comes out every year. Isn't there and, a new Call of Duty out right now? Uh I or did it come I don't out really, a little I bit ago? I think so. I don't, I, I don't play Call of Duty. I don't either, but um, I thought I saw it. But I believe like Modern Warfare 800 or something. I don't know. But there, there is a uh, at least a very strong correlation. Correlation is not causation necessarily, but his numbers do take a dip when Call of Duty comes out. Essentially, every year, Kyler Murray needs to step up. They are taking on the Pats tonight. Kickoff at 5:15 uh, on Monday Night Football. We'll go away. Come back. More sports talk on the other side. I'm Peter Sampson in for Gonzano. It's the Bald Face Truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Welcome back in. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. This is the bald face truth. JC just taking some well deserved time off. Like I said earlier in the program, it's a marathon, not a sprint. But towards the end of the marathon, you basically go all out for the last stretch. That's what he's done. And uh, now he is taking a few days off to uh, recoup, recharge, rejuvenate, so on and so forth. Keeping it in the NFL. So the commanders have activated Carson Wentz from IR. No, 
He's probably not going to get his starting job back. Uh, Wentz has been out since week six with a fractured finger. And, of course, uh, the commanders never get used to them calling them the commanders, by the way. I It's good that they changed the name, but I'm just, I still have a hard time getting used to it. Uh, the commanders have won five of seven games with Taylor Heineke, the backup who took over for Wentz. And currently, they hold the sixth seed in the NFC. So, Ron Rivera already said Wentz is going to be the primary backup once he's activated. Do we think Do we think Wentz is going to ever start in the NFL anywhere? Or is he just a backup at this point? Mm, I, I think he's more just a backup. I mean, I think he'll get an opportunity to start based off injury or performance. But he's never going to be a guy that a team wants to acquire and say, you know what, we're going to give you the keys you're going to be our day one starter. Like that's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, maybe if it's the Geno Smith situation, right? Like a team that's trying that somewhat trying to tank and lose, not have the great quarterback in there. Maybe it's not a chance, but no, I think his starter days are over. Yeah. It, it's sad. I mean, again, I, I, I'm not an Eagles fan, but Carson wins back in the day, Philly, man. I mean, he had all the talent, all the hype. He had his moments for sure, but man, that, he just got wrecked <laughs> while he was there. And, I mean, some of it's injury. Obviously, he had the ACL. He's had just a litany of injuries. You know, he's lost a little bit. But so much of it, it was it was mental. When he was just taking that beating, and it's like he never r- fully regained even that confidence. I might be reading that wrong, but he just seems like, like a, a, a shell of uh, himself confidence-wise as well. Like, just some of the choices, the throws that he's making, he's rushing. I mean, he's always had a big arm. I understand, you know, the injuries are going to limit a guy, but he's just shot. Yeah, I mean, you go back to that year back in 2017. You know, his second year in the NFL, he was third in MVP voting. He got hurt. Uh, That was the year that Philadelphia went and won the Super Bowl, but the Eagles were 11-2 and when he got hurt, 13 games in. 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Like, this guy was cruising to be the NFL MVP before that ACL injury, and he's never got it back. So, you know, is it to have to do with the injuries? Is it a mental thing? I don't know that anybody really knows, but, you know, it's too bad because he looks like he's going to be one of the bright young stars of the NFL, and he just hasn't got his foot by, you know, foot back um, after that injury. So, you know, and now he's 30 years old. Like, this is this is a tough spot for the he's yeah. in. It seems like he's going to have to adjust and become just that full-time backup, which, again, that can be a good spot for a lot of players. That can be a very, you know, career defining move where you can be a backup for, you know, five, ten years and make good money, but you gotta buy in in that situation. Who knows if Carson's willing to do that? Yeah. Remains to be seen. And uh of course the commanders, Taylor Heineke, I mean he, he five and two with Carson Wentz out. Now, should the commanders look to lock him up? I mean, I I believe his contract is up. He might have one more year left. Should the commanders fully commit to Taylor Heineke or should they be out on the market looking for a franchise quarterback elsewhere? I mean, I think it's I think it's a no. It's a no for me. He's fine. He's a fine. I think he's another perfect good backup, yeah. right? Like he's a guy that can come in and win a couple games as your backup quarterback. But what is really the ceiling with Taylor Heineke? It, like we talked Five about. And two. That's the thing. Like we talked about Tom Brady, like being able to super, win a Super Bowl. I don't know that Taylor Heineke can do that, even with a really loaded roster. He makes some mistakes. Uh, he he plays great down. The, he's a great great clutch player, but throughout the game, quarters one through three, he's not necessarily good. I think you got to go out and you got to find someone. A little better than Taylor Heineke, but I, you know, if you're Washington, 
either you know try to trade him to another team that wants to buy in on him or keep him around as a backup quarterback because we see quarterbacks go down all the time. And if you don't have a backup, like you get screwed in that situation. Washington has a good backup, Taylor Heineke, and you know they're going to probably make the playoffs now because of it. Yeah. By the way, speaking of uh, you know, what at least I considered backup quarterbacks thriving, my man Jalen Hurts, credit where credit is due, I never ever saw this coming as he uh, took the next step into the NFL. I, d- I didn't even see him as a starter, let alone the odds-on favorite for MVP on December 12th. The Eagles lock up the playoffs. Jalen Hurts is balling. I mean, did anyone see this coming? Now, the Eagles' success, maybe, because it's not just him. They have a great team. They have a balanced team. They have a good defense. The Eagles are rock solid. But Jalen Hurts specifically, I mean, I, I'm i flabbergasted. I didn't see it coming for sure. I, I thought that the Eagles were a good, solid team, but they didn't have they the quarterback. They needed a quarterback. Yeah, yeah. But they didn't have the quarterback. You know, they were very talented everywhere else, but that quarterback was the question mark. I think you can say, like, he's not a question right now. Like, he is a really good player, and, you know, I don't know that I necessarily think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC, but just go and look through the NFC, Peter. Like, the, the ad is wide open right now. It's basically Philly, Dallas, and uh, are you buying Minnesota? Because I'm not buying Minnesota. I mean, the Lions team. just took yeah. care of Minnesota. And then the yeah. 49ers. So the three teams, 49ers, Cowboys, Eagles, those are the top three teams for sure. After that, probably Detroit. <laughs> like, Detroit might be the fourth best team in the NFC right now. Like, I'm not even joking about it. Like, go look at it. Like, this this conference is wide open. Jalen Hurts, whether he's good or not, he's having a great year. He could really lead the Eagles to the Super Bowl, and it wouldn't even be that big of a question. He's going to have to outplay Brock Purdy of the 49ers and Dak of the Cowboys. Yeah, it's just wild. We live in a world, Stephen Vaughn, we live in a world where uh, you've got the Detroit Lions at the New York Jets this Sunday, and the playoffs is potentially on the line for both teams. It's not even a bad game. Like, that's an actual— That's going to be a fun game. It should be a fun game. The Jets have a really good defense. The Lions have a really good offense. Like, I, that's one of the games that I will want to watch on Sunday. Yeah, and I mean, look, Jared Goff playing really well right now, and as a Rams fan, uh, enjoy him. Enjoy him. He, he It won't last, but he can be fun. I've had multiple people ask me, yeah, worth it? Was it worth it? Hell yeah, it was worth it. Look at this ring. I know, it's not my ring, but, you know, the Rams won it all. It's worth being bad now. It's worth seeing Jared Goff thrive on another team. All that means is it's potentially a win-win. You got a Super Bowl. The Lions got their quarterback potentially, for the next handful of years. They have some young talent there. Of course, Panay Sewell blocking for uh, for Goff. Um Things are finally maybe, dare I say, looking up for Detroit, let alone the Jets. What world are we living in? The Kings are in the playoffs right now, and now the Lions are contending for the playoffs. If both the Kings and the Lions make the playoffs this year, Peter, I don't know what's in store for 2023. I'll be honest. I mean, we saw what happened to the world when the Cubs won the World Series. That was the beginning of the end. That's true. 2016. What is going to happen when the Lions and the Kings both make the playoffs? I just, I'm not kidding. I, like, squirmed in my chair when you said that. I broke into a little bit of a sweat there. If the Lions and the Kings both make the playoffs, I don't know. I don't know. But it, it's it's the dawning of a new age. Like, we've been living in, I don't know astrology at all, it's nonsense, but as, like we've been living in the age of Aquarius, we're moving on to whatever the next one is. <laughs> no. What if the Jets do, too? Oh, I mean. Giants, too? Oh, 
You have Jets, Giants, Kings, Lions. Yeah, so obviously you have D- Detroit, New York. Uh, you've got uh, uh, the Giants. Are They're at Washington. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, Wentz possibly going to be activated, but still will be the backup for that game. The NFL, very interesting right now. The Chargers, faint playoff hopes are alive. Cincinnati, after a slow start, has come on. Joe Burrows mm-hmm. looked really good now. Uh some very interesting games this weekend. It's going to be a, it's going to be a good weekend. And, and uh, we're finally to the point. So obviously you have San Fran and Seattle on Thursday night football. We've got those Saturday games now yeah. too. So Indianapolis at Minnesota, Baltimore at Cleveland, and then a rematch Miami at Buffalo. Remember the Dolphins beat Buffalo. I think gave them their first yeah. loss this year. Uh, our old friend, Sean McPherson was hyped that week. Uh, as a Dolphins fan. Uh, and then, of course, next week, uh, the, or the weekend after, that's Christmas weekend. Of course, the NFL playing Saturday and Sunday, so we'll have the Christmas Day games. It's going to be a good time. Yeah, I mean, Thursday night is going to kick it off. Well, it's going to start today, Monday, on right here on 750 The Game, uh, locally here. But then Thursday, you know, Judah Newby is going to be uh, shaking in his boots there for that one. Niners, Seahawks should be a fun one. Of that yeah, one. I think that's going to be a fantastic game. Of course, the news came out. Niners, uh, Debo Samuel. It's not a uh, the injury that many people feared. MCL sprain, high ankle sprain. Could return in the regular season. All right, we'll go away, come back, talk some more sports on the other side. I'm Peter Sampson in for John Canzano. It's the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Spreading the holiday cheer with some Black Sabbath. Peter Sampson in for Canzano. It's the bald face truth on the BFT radio network. We got our tree up over the weekend. We have a kitten, so we decided on a fake tree just for this year. We do real trees, and I'm, but I'm glad we did the fake tree. It's real small, nice little itty-bitty one to go in the corner. We, we've done the remodel, and we've got all, we don't have a ton of room right now for a uh, typically uh, larger tree that we get. But the, the fake tree was the right decision because already this little jerk cat has jumped into the thing and knocked it over. Oh, I don't know. Four, five times just in the last three or four days. Uh, she just decides that she gets to go screaming off the couch and launch her into the thing. Like she's coming off of an aircraft carrier. It's not the best. It's not the best. And I mean, you know, cats are cute. Love kittens. She's great. But she's at that age, you know, where she's not tiny anymore. She's like a lanky teen, but uh, she's still obnoxious, gets into everything. You know, she's chomping around, running around, spazzing out, hurling herself into my Christmas tree, walking all over the gifts. I mean, as far as I know, there's nothing really, uh, you know, breakable that's wrapped up or anything like that. I mean, at least I know what I got for people, but uh, she needs to learn some etiquette. Is what I'm saying. You ever have that? You ever have the cat just like you're just you're in bed or something like that, and you just hear the as the tree goes over. Well, I have the kids. I have the kids that That's do bad that. enough. Yeah, they. Uh, you know, I have the, my youngest is three. He'll be four on Christmas Day, so he's still right at that age where like he's in, he's enthralled by the Christmas tree. You know, every morning he wakes up, 
and the tree lights are, you know, we have that on a timer, so they automatically come on because we have a fake tree as yeah, well. Yeah. We, uh, we're, we're fake tree family for sure. We're never a real tree family. Just too, it's too much work for me. I'm not the handyman, but he comes out, comes downstairs, and he looks at the tree and just like stares at the lights for like two minutes. And you know he's just like plotting his plan of what <laughs> what ornament I want to take off and try to break. What I found this year, uh, so my kiddo is eight. He's going to be nine. This is the first year where the kid is, he's not just excited for Christmas. That happens every year. But he's very, very into the idea of like, man, I wish I knew what was in there. And I think he took a peek into his stocking. And And by think, I know for a fact he did. But it's one of those things where you can't really like, call him on it you didn't witness it and i don't think anything good is visible like he's you know the the big plastic shaped like a candy cane containers of like kit kats or the individual reese's peanut butter cups or something like that so he sees those those are hanging out the top that's mm-hmm. okay but it was moved ever so slightly i think he peeked in fortunately everything is uh covered with a, a gift that's in a, it like just a plain uh cardboard box because honestly if he had seen what that was it would have given away what the big gifts are would have been a disaster so you just kind of uh let him let let him get his little peaks but not let him get too much the five at five coming up next this is the BFT B F F T from the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Peter Sampson with the bald faced truth. Welcome back in. Peter Sampson in for JC. It's the bald faced truth. We do have Monday night football, at least here on 750 The Game of Portland, coming up at 515. If you're in the Eugene area, Klamath Falls, Roseburg, keep it on that dial and uh, continue to listen to the fine programming there. But before we take you to Monday Night Football, at least here in Portland, it is 5 o'clock, and that means I owe you the 5 at 5. The 5 at 5. Brought to you by Mercedes-Benz of Wilsonville. See more than 4,000 vehicles at swickert.com. Well, Texas and Oklahoma are set to leave the Big 12 for the SEC in 2025. That's no surprise. But it's starting to sound like the move could take place even sooner. Reporter Brett McMurphy, friend of this show, says there's momentum for the schools to make the jump a year early in 2024. He suggests the SEC would want Texas and Oklahoma to join in time for the college football playoffs expansion to 12 teams. An early move would involve the schools buying out their Big 12 contracts. That could cost between $50 and $84 million. Not a small amount of money there. Could be worth it. The SEC might want that again as the the playoff expands to 12 teams. They're rushing to make that happen. They want to get that approved as soon as possible. Well, you want all your ducks in a row, don't you? Second thing, you're five at five. Detroit Pistons guard Cade Cunningham, the number one overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft, is going to have season-ending surgery on his left shin. Now, Cunningham, who you probably haven't seen, A, because he hasn't played since November 9th, and B, because he plays in Detroit, consulted with multiple doctors in recent weeks and ultimately decided with the Pistons and his reps at Excel Sports 
to undergo a procedure that's expected to have him fully recovered ahead of training camp for the 23-24 season. Now, this makes sense. Cade Cunningham, very nice player, by the way. Very, very nice player. Came on strong in the second half of last season. And uh, with he and Jaden Ivey, I mean, the Pistons have a backcourt for the future. But it also makes sense if you're the team and you're looking at this long-term injury, go ahead and have the surgery, miss the year. We're going to lose a bunch of games. We're going to at least have a couple ping-pong balls in the Victor Wimbyama sweepstakes. Of course, it gets interesting if somehow they uh, win the Scoot Henderson sweepstakes, having Jay Nivey there already. But that's a conversation that you have once you cross that bridge. But they're content to lose a bunch of games. Get Ivy a bunch of playing time that doesn't really matter and start fresh with those two, plus some other guys, Jalen Dern, of course, next season. Third thing, five at five. Mississippi State football coach Mike Leach remains hospitalized in critical condition. Leach suffered what was called yesterday a personal health issue that occurred at home. According to multiple reports, the one I'm looking at is by the Clarion Ledger. Leach had a massive heart attack. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff online out there. Uh, Don't pay attention to a lot of it. Coach Bill Snyder, formerly Kansas State, some other places, he had tweeted out RIP to my friend Mike Leach. And then just a few minutes ago, 12 minutes ago, he says, oh, now I'm told Mike has not passed. Sorry for getting out ahead of my skis and tweeting too soon. Yeah. That's why you want to make sure you're right and not first. But regardless, it's not a good situation, reportedly, for uh, Mike Leach. Uh, A lot of reports that it is dire. It's terrible. We've had Coach Leach on this show dozens of times, literally dozens of times. He's always a great quote, uh, great coach. He's in his third season with the Bulldogs. He was at practice with the team Saturday as they were preparing to play Illinois January 2nd in the ReliaQuest Bowl. And with him hospitalized, defensive coordinator Zach Arnett is now in charge of the football program. So some sad news there Uh, remains to be seen exactly how that's going to play out. All we can do is wait and watch, but it does not sound good. Fourth of our five at five. Texas men's basketball coach Chris Beard was arrested on charges of third-degree felony assault. He's 49 years old, was arrested very early this morning, i.e. super late last night in Austin. Police reports indicate he's accused of strangling a family member. His attorney says he's 100% innocent and should never have been arrested. The university says it's aware of the situation. They have suspended him without pay. And a woman told police, Beard, quote, choked me, threw me off the bed, bit me. I'm going to say that again. Bit me. Bruises all over my legs, throwing me around and going nuts. She said the choking lasted for five seconds and impeded her breathing. Now, Beard told police he has audio recordings showing he was not the primary aggressor. He was asked if he'd be willing to share those audio recordings, to which he said no. He is suspended. Longhorns are going to play Rice tonight. I will just say, if you're an adult especially, if you're in an argument 
with someone in your relationship and it's to the point where you're proactively gathering audio ev- evidence on your cell phone, you should probably just walk away, man, whether it's your fault or not. If it's to the point where I'm going to record you so I can prove I didn't assault you here in a minute, allegedly, probably go take a walk. Fifth thing in the five at five, Portland Trailblazers for the second straight game, hosting the Minnesota Timberwolves tonight at Moda. That is going to be at 7 o'clock. Blazers a four or four and a half, depending on where you get it. Point favorite in this game. I'm seeing that it moved to four. They were favored by five and a half on Saturday when they played the T-Wolves. Of course, they won that game by six. They did cover 124-118. And I'm just hoping for a little more defense in this game. Uh, Damian Lillard and Anthony Simons both went nuts. Both scored 30 for the first time in their careers. They scored 30 in the same game. And it's fun when that happens. But I want to see them win without that tonight. So can we get a little defense? Can we get a little fighting through screens? A little uh, little, little more uh, effort defending the pick and roll? Can we not leave Yusuf Nurkic? forced to guard large swaths of space on the perimeter while seven foot 100 Rudy Gobert just dives untouched to the rim for easy two-handed dunks on his tippy toes. Can we just have a little less of that tonight? And most importantly, can we get another Blazers win to make that four out of five after a little bit of a slump? And that's been your 5 at 5. We do it every day on this show. You like the Blazers tonight? Uh, I don't. I don't. Uh, since the NBA has been doing the whole COVID back-to-backs, it's hard to beat the team twice. Like Because you adjust. You adjust. And so I do like Minnesota tonight, uh, plus the points. I hope, though. I do hope that Portland has some adjustments. I want to ask you this, Peter, about yeah. Rudy Gobert dunking on his tiptoes. Is that just like – is it just <laughs> – does it hurt you as much as it hurt me? Like, it's so easy for him to dunk. He doesn't even have to, like, jump. He just tippy-toes, hands up, dunk. It's like I had to put all my effort into dunk when I could, like, actually jump at my peak yeah. for, like, two years. Yeah, like, I worked so hard in high school, and I could, like, when I was in my best shape, if I got lucky and I had a great grip on the ball and I couldn't do it in a game, I had to just be goofing around, I could get like my very first knuckle over and I could like Steve Blake dunk it. I could white guy dunk it. And I had a nasty, nasty ankle injury. And that was the end of that. And so, yeah, it very much upsets me to see people that do it effortlessly. Tippy toes, hands up easy. Yeah. So with that, we are out of time. We're going to go ahead and take you to in Portland, Monday night football. You've got the Car- the Cardinals and the Patriots. If you're listening in Eugene K. Falls, Roseburg, I appreciate you. Keep listening to your fine programming. I've been Peter Sampson. This is the BFT.